This episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is brought to you by Maestro Classics, the creators of Stories in Music, a fun recorded series made for children and families to discover the thrill of classical music together. Featuring the London Philharmonic Orchestra, Maestro Classics brings over a dozen exciting stories to life with the help of a narrator and colorfully illustrated booklets. The Maestro Classics Stories in Music has won over 50 national awards and garnered praise from parents, grandparents, teachers, and children alike. All Maestro Classics CDs are available at the Met Opera Shop at Lincoln Center and online at metoperashop.org. To learn more, visit maestroclassics.com. Verdi's Aida is a passionate and complex love story which can be seen from many angles. Today on the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we are treated to a new perspective on this beloved classic, not from the towering figures on stage, but from a specific instrument in the orchestra pit, the clarinet. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. Verdi's Aida is full of memorable moments, and a whole orchestra of instruments brings this masterpiece to life, each serving a unique and specialized function within the score. I'm Stuart Holt, and today we are pleased to welcome the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra's Anton Rist to the podcast in discussion with my co-host, Naomi Baratera. They'll take us on a journey through Verdi's famous work from the perspective of the clarinet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Met Opera Guild podcast. We are very excited to have here with us today the principal clarinetist of the Met Opera Orchestra, Anton Rist. Welcome, Anton. Hey, Naomi. Thanks for having me. So today we are looking at Verdi's Aida from the perspective of the clarinet. But before we dive into the kind of nitty-gritty of the clarinet within the score and within the opera... We would like to get to know you a little bit better, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been playing the clarinet, how long have you been at the Met in the orchestra and your path there? Sure. So I've been playing the clarinet since I was six years old. I grew up in in the city. Um, I studied privately all through high school, and then I um, did two degrees at the Juilliard Juilliard School, um, undergraduate and master's, and then I freelanced for a year, and now here I am at the Met. How long have you been in the orchestra? Three years. I just This is the start of my third season. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the clarinet itself, what instrument family it belongs to, how is the sound produced, the technical aspects of how do you make sound on this sure. instrument? So the clarinet is a member of the woodland family, um, and unlike the oboe and the bassoon, which are double reeds, they have two reeds that vibrate together to form the sound, um, it, the clarinet is a single reed instrument, sort of like the saxophone. Uh, and it has one reed that vibrates against a mouthpiece, which is made of hard rubber. It can be made of wood. It can be made of crystal. Um, so there are a lot of materials that the mouthpiece can be made of. Uh, and so when I blow through the top of it, the reed vibrates against the mouthpiece, and that's how it makes the sound. It's one of the more modern instruments in the woodwind family. Actually, the way it started 
there was a, an instrument called the shalamo, which was a single reed instrument as well, one of the earliest single reed instruments, and it could basically only play the low register. And then in like I think 1700 around that around then, someone named Johann Denner, he added a few keys to the shalamo, one of them being the register key, which increased the range by two octaves, and it made it more of an actual viable instrument to play in ensembles and to play solo music. Um, so since then, the clarinet has become more and more involved. More keys have been added, enabling it to play in different keys. And now it is what we know today. So the actual body of the instrument is made of a very hard wood, correct? It is. It's made of grenadilla wood, which is very, very dense. It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't change with the weather that much. Um, pretty stable as far as woods go. Mm. And I see that you have two instruments here with you today. So can you explain the differences between them or why a clarinetist might have more than one physical instrument in their arsenal? Yes. So I have the B-flat clarinet and the A clarinet, which are the two sort of standard orchestral clarinets. And it's, it's actually interesting why clarinetists always have two instruments. And it goes back hundreds of years to Johann Denner again. When the clarinet was first developed, it was very simple. As I said, there were two keys. It was sort of like a recorder, mm-hmm. but with a register key. So you couldn't play in that many keys easily. You could play in a few very simple keys, but you couldn't really play in chromatic keys or mm-hmm. like F sharp major, for instance. <laughs> so it was sort of stuck to like C major, F major, G major. So instead of adding more keys to the clarinet, they just made different size clarinets to cover the different keys. So physically, they're different sizes. Physically, they're different sizes. The B-flat is a little smaller than the A clarinet. Mm. So as the clarinet became more advanced, composers didn't catch on as quickly, and they kept writing for both separate instruments. And before you knew it, composers like the A and B-flat clarinet, those were the established clarinets to use. And when you talk about the register key, since people are listening and can't see, it's essentially a stopper that opens and closes a hole in the back of the instrument. Exactly. So what it does, and I can demonstrate, let's say I'm playing a low C, Mm -hmm. um, and then I add the register key, it'll bring it up to a different register. It'll bring it up a twelfth. So it's Mm -hmm. not an octave key like on the the flute or the saxophone, it brings it up a twelfth. So I'll play a low C, and then if I add the register key, it'll come out a high G. So So it's quite a dramatic difference just from one key. So if I play the lowest note on um, the B-flat clarinet is a low E. That's very sort of woody and sonorous. And then I can go much higher and go. And that takes it up to a, we call it a double high C. And it's a high C that is, um, it's two C's above the staff. And that's about the range of the clarinet. Right. How often do you have to play up there in a Uh, given season? Actually, I think this season is the first time that I've had to play up there in the opera, and that is for the Valkyr. Oh, okay. I think that's the the first opera that I've played here, or that I will Mm -hmm. play here, that goes up that high. Everything else is usually stops around G, around that note. So are there different things that the clarinet is good at doing in the different registers, maybe different characters that it brings out, or types of playing that are easy or difficult in each register? Oh, totally. I'm actually, I'm going to answer the question about what's easy first. (laughs) The clarinet um, is great because it can play so quietly. It's possibly the quietest instrument 
I mean, it really can play on the on the the edge of of audibility. Of course, then if you you can't actually play that softly in the orchestra, otherwise, you know, the oboes and the bassoons would be giving you dirty looks, and the conductor <laughs> would be asking for more. But it's a cool trick to have. So, like, I can play. Like really quietly, yes. and I don't think many other instruments can do that. The clarinet sort of has a, we call it the sneak attack. Ah. You can sort of start a note with just the air, and then slowly, sort of emerge from nothing, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. So the clarinet does that very well. As far as the different registers go, generally the upper registers are the solo registers because they they project. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of hard to to really cut through an orchestra or like match the singers in the low register it sort of gets a little bit a little too dark almost actually between the low register and the what's just call it the upper register there's what's called the throat tone register and no one likes the throat tones <laughs> they sort of they're the least resonant um register on the clarinet okay and it's very easy if you don't sort of practice getting a nice sound on them it's very easy to sort of sound get kind of a pinched sound on them like that really doesn't have the same resonance as say so if I make no adjustments it really doesn't match the upper register so you have to practice and you you find ways to sort of match the throat tones with the other register so instead of you get that's amazing so many different timbres on one pitch yeah so there's lots of possibilities a lot with the of clarinet. Possibilities, a lot of color. Yes. Which is, it's kind of nice because unlike the bassoon, the oboe, the, the flute, clarinet doesn't really have a tradition of vibrato. Oh, It plays with a more straight tone. So mm. it's, it's nice to like sort of figure out how many colors do you actually have so you can try to match what, what the oboes do when they play a beautiful solo and, and you want to play something as, as expressively without being able to rely on vibrato as, as reliably. So let's talk now about Aida and Verdi for a minute and kind of how he uses the clarinet. So if we look at composers that have favored the clarinet over time, Mm. I know that Mozart particularly loved the clarinet, but it was also a fairly new instrument when he was composing. And so he was enamored with what the clarinet could do, something he had never heard before. Verdi is quite a bit later, and so... Mm. What are the kinds of things that, in your opinion, Verdi gravitates towards in writing for the clarinet? Well, he makes he makes use of the full range, the full possibilities on the clarinet. So, for instance, Louisa Miller, mm-hmm. last season, I can't think of any opera, actually any symphonic vocal piece, anything that really shows off the clarinet as well as that opera did. He has mm-hmm. enormous solos. He has very like full, loud playing, but then he also has some of the softest playing. There's a part in the in the last act where I literally it's just me playing two notes, and I think it's marked four pianos, so pianissimo, <laughs> and it's really an opportunity for me to make use of how quietly I can play, and that's kind of cool. That's something that Mozart, for instance, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. didn't really do, and a lot of other composers haven't done to the same extent as as Verdi. So um, he also writes enormous solos for the clarinet. And he also uses the clarinet as a accompanimental instrument. Mm-hmm. So there's a, in, going back to Louisa Miller, uh, in the tenor aria, I, I think I play a little arpeggiated accompaniment, accompaniment finger, figure like a hundred times. So he really, he shows off the clarinet to the best of its abilities. Mm-hmm. So in Aida, 
when I think of the clarinet in Aida, I have a very specific association of the clarinet with Aida's theme that kind of runs throughout the opera. But I know the clarinet does much more than just that <laughs> in the score. So maybe we'll kind of start from the top and go through some of the excerpts and talk about what the clarinet is doing in that moment, what its function is, things maybe that are going through your mind as you're playing it, so that okay. we get a sense of the opera from the perspective of playing this particular instrument. Sure. So if we start with the overture, I believe that the clarinet plays Aida's theme and what we call the theme of the priests. And so I thought we would talk about what do these two themes sound like? How is the clarinet interacting with other instruments? Okay, of course. Um, so yes, in the, in the overture, the clarinet plays both themes, sort of fragments, so not the entire theme, but mm -hmm. two measures of the, the theme of the priests, mm -hmm. and then sort of variations on the on Aida's theme. And the theme of the priests very, really only gives us a measure and a half of that, and it's sort of traded, it's sort of like a, a little canon, so it starts in the mm -hmm. lowest strings, and then it goes to the woodwinds. That's all he gives us of that. And then when we have Aida's theme, which is, of course, the more chromatic sort of sensual theme, I guess you could call it. It's, he, we, we play that a little bit longer. And in this, unlike when I played this later in the opera, it's, it's forte. It's fortissimo. It's very full and sort of declamatory. Hmm. So you trade these themes back and forth with other instruments. Yes, especially the, the theme of the priests. I think it starts in the, the Chellian basses and then works its way up. So let's give that opening a listen, the preludes, so that you can hear what Anton just played in the context of the full orchestra.
So our next excerpt is Radames's big aria in Act One. It comes pretty quickly or early in the act, Celeste Aida, and this whole aria is essentially him dreaming about Aida, who we learn he is in love with. Let's talk about how the clarinet interacts with what he is singing and what is the clarinet doing in this aria? What is your role in it? So my role in it is basically to support um, Rodimus and play the theme along with him. Okay. So um, I think the clarinet plays the, the second time, the second verse, and in unison with the bassoon. So uh-huh. it's, it's kind of interesting how the, the, the first statement is in I think the other winds, mm-hmm. um, the, the flute and the oboe, and then Verity sort of develops the texture by then stating it, stating it again with the clarinet and bassoon. When it comes back, are you added to the flute and oboe, or does he kind of switch it up? He kind of switches it up. All right. So the, the focus really is then on the, the clarinet and bassoon color. Okay. Which is, the, that combination is a really sort of natural one. It, the, somehow the, the sounds of the bassoon and the clarinet really complement each other well. In our episode with Billy Short, he talked about the bassoon and the oboe being a flobo. <laughs> so here you have the clarinet and the bassoon being a clarinet or a clarinoon. <laughs> so, or as he said, a bassinet. A bassinet. <laughs> so, so why don't we listen to first? What do you play that's paired with Rodame's when the melody comes back a second time? <laughs> would say the goal is to try to match everything the singer is doing so timing shape it, it should really it shouldn't stick out if you can hear us moving at different times from the singer then something's not working right so you really have to play a, a, with a very sort of soft dynamic and really like pay 10 percent attention to the notes and 90 percent attention to the stage so you really make sure that you are locked in with the singer i'm really trying to listen to everything that the the tenor is doing Mm -hmm. and follow it as closely as I can. Let's give this a listen. We're going to drop in right before the clarinet comes in, paired with Rodame, so we can hear the, the end of this aria.
So I start right away with Aida's theme. And it's it's a great moment. It's sort of an example of Verdi making use of the clarinet's dynamics because he has me written pianissimo and there's not much else happening in the orchestra. I think it's just a, some, some tremolo. Um, so I can really play pianissimo and sort of use that color that the clarinet gets when it plays so quietly. that same excerpt in the context of the full orchestra from a live recording from the Met, just so we can hear that subtle string tremolo underneath as the clarinet brings in Aida's theme. <laughs> that we're going to talk about. This is the Guerra Chorus. And so very military feeling, the bum, 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 And so in this moment, the clarinets are again split into two parts and they're both doing different things. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What's happening? Sure. So in this in this march, we're, my part is, is with the singers. So I'm, I'm very much just following them again and, mm-hmm. sort of, and playing the same melody as them. And the second clarinet actually has a similar line, but there's a, a, a little bit more. He sort of fills in the gaps. Um, Verity fills in the gaps in the second clarinet part. So when I'm holding a note, the second player will play a few 16th notes or maybe have slightly different harmony. 
And it's it's one of those things. I think this happens in the strings before we play as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, he's presenting the same material twice. Mm-hmm. So the the um, the part that you hear in the second clarinet is the same as you'd hear in the lower strings earlier. Can you play those two parts for us back to back? So sure. Hear first, what the first clarinet does, or what I guess this would be what you are doing, and then what your colleagues are doing in the second clarinet. Absolutely. And this this part of the opera is on A clarinet, and one of the things that happens when you play like let's say B flat clarinet for a long time and then go to pick up the A clarinet the clarinet is often very cold. Oh. There's a little draft in the pit. <laughs> so you pick it up and it feels like feels like a block of ice. Which isn't the biggest problem except it can affect the pitch. Oh. Okay. And so if the instrument's cold it'll sound a little flat. Likewise if it's really hot and everyone's sweaty in the pit it's going to be a little sharp. So it's one of the things, those things you have to like predict and be warming up one clarinet before you know, before you have to play it. So in your scores, do you ha- ever have to write yourself little notes so that you don't forget, or do you just know sometimes, it so well? Sometimes you do. Um, it's, it depends on like how important is the, is the material that you're about to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times I'll write in like you know swab a clarinet, clean out water, like check water exclamation point. Um, a, a lot of little markers that'll help you sort of prepare for what's to come. Right. So you've warmed up your clarinet. <laughs> it's toasty and ready to go. <laughs> so then what does the first clarinet play? So the first clarinet plays um, the exact material that, that the chorus singing. So that's what the first clarinet has. And then the second part is, is similar, but a little different. listen to that march it's a very full orchestra at this moment but listen hard to see if you can pinpoint the clarinet paired with what the chorus is singing that chorus in the score, things kind of transition into a more solo moment for Aida, the Ritorna Vincitor, and here 
Anton has switched to a, the other clarinet. I'm back on B flat. All right. And again, Verdi is very kind to the clarinetists. He gives us a long time to prepare, warm up the instrument, get in the zone before you play this. And unlike the first time that I that I played this um, earlier in the act, this time I'm almost completely in unison with Aida. So ah. I play the first measure alone, and then from from the second measure, the se- the second phrase until the end of the solo, it's completely in unison with with Aida. So it's a similar thing as I was saying before. I need to be paying so much attention to her. It's not really a moment for artistic expression on my part. <laughs> it's all about her. If, if, if I do my job well, you won't hear, oh, there's a clarinet and a singer. It'll, you'll hear the singer and like a little clarinet color underneath, but you won't ah. hear, you won't hear us moving at different times. So what that means is I have to maybe play the dynamic a little softer than I would if it was just me playing this. Mm-hmm. And I have to be like very, I sort of have to mark spots that I know. You'll see in my part, like, I have a, a little vocal cue there. I have BB, which means big breath. I have, like, little commas where she breathes. I have sets of eyeglasses. A lot of stuff that is going to help me when, it's, when it comes time for performance. Why don't we hear this alone as you would play it in a performance, so trying to meld with the singer. Absolutely. to talk about was this dance sequence that is a famous part of the opera where you have actual dancing happening on stage and again the clarinet gets lots of staccato notes and there is a a larger woodwind and double reed texture going on you have the flute the oboe and I think the bassoon enters at some point and so what is the clarinet doing here and can you tell us a little bit about how you actually execute staccato on a clarinet sure so let me talk about sort of this this moment and what the clarinet's role is the the dance starts with um like a very staccato energetic theme in in the in the flute and the oboe and then i come in a couple measures later and it's sort of my job to match that energy and to sort of if it starts out at at 
at like a 10, bring it up to an 11, you know? Yeah. So it's very energetic and short and sort of um, has that pecky dance quality. Um, and then um, midway through this, there's sort of like a little, uh, the, the sort of the, um, the texture changes a little bit and it becomes a little bit more heavy and a little more vertical. And the clarinet really sort of plays a role in creating that character. So it's sort of those two those two things. As far as actually creating staccato on the clarinet, what I'm doing is I'm actually touching the reed with my tongue every time that I'm playing a staccato note. And I can vary the length by how long I keep my, my tongue on the reed, or rather off the reed. Mm-hmm. And I can also vary the, the quality. I can go from a very soft sort of like... to a very short and hard... Sort of everything in between. Mm-hmm. So the very extremes, the long and then the very short and, and, and pecky. Um, I think staccato is one of the more difficult things on the clarinet. It doesn't seem to be as, as natural as on the bassoon or the oboe. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't also, it's different from the flute in that the flute doesn't, there's no, there's no reed in your mouth. So I think you have a little bit more flexibility. Whereas on the clarinet, you're kind of locked into touching the reed in a specific location and sort of just practicing for the quality that you want. So in this excerpt, what kind of staccato are you after? In this excerpt, I'm going for a very sort of pecky, short staccato. Okay. It wouldn't really sound characterful if it was like, right? (laughs) That's a lot different from... I'm I'm creating this the 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 articulation the same way. I'm just changing how short mm-hmm. I'm, I'm playing the notes. So changing the length of time your tongue is touching and releasing from the reed. Yes. So it's it's changing the length of time that my tongue is off the reed because right. when it's on the reed, I'm dampening the tone, mm-hmm. and then I start the note by removing my tongue, and then I stop the note again by putting it back on the reed. All right. Can you play it for us as written and as you would play it sure. in a performance? And then the, the next part I was talking about, the, the sort of more heavy, the heavier dance. Um, to me, this next part is all about the accents. And I want to really create like sort of like a foot stomp, a foot stomp of an accent. So very vertical and kind of heavy. are written into the score. They are, yes. Yes. So you are taking the instructions that Verity gave you and bringing them to life. Exactly.
So the Bala Bile, which is a continuation of some of these dances that we've already been talking about, but a different character, there's a lot going on. So the flutes enter with triplets. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Okay, so the flutes really sort of start the 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 balabile um, with this staccato triplet figure, and then the clarinet joins in um, eight measures later. And, and with with this, it's it's very easy to, in the pursuit of playing short and very staccato, it's easy to play this heavy and to accent a lot of beats where there is no accent mark. So I think it's important to keep this very light and sort of let the strings put any emphasis on the beats with with their chords. Um, let me demonstrate some of this. I can actually demonstrate both ways. So I'll play it first how I would want to play it in context. Wow. So I'm going for the, the quality, but I'm not getting bogged down in the beats. This is what it could very easily sound like. And I think when I was preparing this, I would record myself practicing. I'd be like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really putting a lot more accents than I want on this. And it would sound something like this. Whereas you want something... There's still shape, mm-hmm. but it's, it's more more thinking sort of every two beats gets a little emphasis instead of every beat.
Now, following this, we were talking earlier about an accompanimental excerpt that the clarinet plays after the balabile that shows the clarinet in a different light, fulfilling a different function. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So you've sort of heard the clarinet as the solo instrument, um, mm -hmm. beautiful singing lines. You've heard it play more staccato. You've heard it play fast staccato. Um, one thing that Verdi does a lot of in all of his operas is he uses the clarinet as sort of a an accompaniment, accompaniment, accompanying, an accompanying instrument. Um, so he'll 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 write triplets or um, a lot of times like in, in Traviata or Louisa Miller. There's a, like a bum bum bim bum 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 bim going on underneath the singing, and very often he puts that in the clarinet part. So he only does that once in Aida, and it's sort of more an accompaniment to the strings. So when I play these these triplets, I I really need to pay a lot of attention to the the string parts and make sure that I'm playing the same tempo. And the beats that I'm playing are lining up with the, the beats in the string part. So it so it's something like this. composer writes tremolo for the clarinet, it's a little different than when he when, when the composer writes for um, a string instrument. On a string instrument, a tremolo would mean you play the same note and just repeat it very, very fast. Mm -hmm. On the clarinet, that doesn't produce the most beautiful effect. If I'm just like... that's It's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. The tongue wants to slow down after a while, and it's also just not the most... It's not really a good... Um, bed for things to happen above it, like singing. Um, so tremolo on the clarinet means that you alternate be between different notes. So it's sort of like a trill, but um, not necessarily from one note to the immediately adjacent note. So it mm -hmm. could be like a, a third, or in this case, or in this case, it's a, a G to a B and then an A to a C. And so I, I'm basically... <laughs> that kind of effect. It's a neat sound effect that it creates. Oh, kind absolutely. Of completely different character. Yeah. So this is happening, this is Act 3, and this is the opening, and this brings us into Aida's big aria, O Patria Mia. Uh, and actually, in this in this aria, the, the oboe has the big, it's a really big, expressive, sort of exotic solo, and the clarinet is really just there for support, hmm. and to really follow what the oboe does. It's, it's slightly different than earlier in the opera when, when the clarinet has unison lines with other instruments or with, with singers, um, where you're trying to just like match exactly what's going on. This is a little more sort of just holding long tones and creating a nice, very beautiful in tune um, <laughs> sort of um, backdrop for the, for the oboe solo to take place. So I'm really, 
I'm playing. This is what I'm playing while the while the oboe is playing their the beautiful solo. Sort of creating a, a beautiful backdrop for the solo. And just like when I when I was playing, when I'm doubled with Aida, for instance, and I sort of write in where her breaths are or where she takes time, same thing with this. I, I, I When I play this, I sort of make a mental note of, okay, where is the oboist um, taking time? Where are they sort of relaxing a little? Where are they moving forward? So that I can really follow them as well as, 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 well as possible.
All right, so now we're in act four and we're actually going to look at the final scene because the clarinet has a few interesting things that it gets to do Absolutely. as the opera comes to a close. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the trajectory of what you're doing in these moments or in this final scene and some of the highlights. Okay, so actually in this opera, the most nerve-wracking part to play because of ensemble um, is actually right at the very, in the very final scene. And it's, it's difficult because it's, it's in unison with the tenor. I'm playing with the second clarinet. The second clarinet is playing um, a third below me. So we're playing together. We're playing in unison with the tenor. There's a lot of rubato. The rhythms are a little more complicated. And somehow it has to all line up and sound really tight and really unified. Um, so it can be a little bit of a challenge. You sort of have to play the rhythms on the page, watch the conductor, anticipate what the singer's going to do, somehow do these things all together and, and make it and pull it off. Make a beautiful sound. Exactly. Make a beautiful yeah. sound. So why don't you play for us this very nerve-wracking moment? Okay. And I'll, I'll play it sort of as I would play it in the, in the opera. second time what happens So the, the second solo that I just played, it actually leads right into the sort of the, the real final scene um, when a, a discernible rhythm and tempo start again. And it's, it's just a beautiful moment. It's one of my favorite parts in the opera. I love playing it. I love listening to it. It's just a, it's a, a great place to sort of just focus on like making a gorgeous sound, really thinking about the line, the, the, the beauty of the phrasing. And also, as I was talking before about the different types of staccato that the clarinet can make, this is an example where I'm articulating each note, but I'm looking for a much softer quality than before. 
Um, and again, there's a little bit of sort of score interpretation that's required because Verdi writes staccato dots on the notes, but I know that he doesn't mean that 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 kind of staccato. I know he's looking for a more a little warmer. So still separate, but not not so short. That's not this. the kind of final big moment for you with the clarinet or do you have a little bit more there's a little bit more nothing like no solos nothing that mm -hmm. you know the audience is going to really hear but stuff that is just it's so nice to play it's nice because it's beautiful writing and also it's there's a lot of rubato again and it's nice to sort of like play it play it with the singer and sort of like anticipate what they're doing and then it's, it's sort of like a, a satisfying page to play and this is this is the the very the very end there are these little sort of sighing figures um, that are sort of with the, with the winds. Mm -hmm. And some of them are very short. It's just two notes, but it's, they're very powerful. intimate, quiet playing. Mm -hmm. So at the very end, they're just these wind chords and they sort of, they start piano and they crescendo. And there's no, there's no like final dynamic. It just sort of crescendos until the bar line and it, and then it stops. And it's just, it's a really beautiful effect because it's sort of like growing and growing with each, with each relay. And in context, it's, it's really, it's very beautiful. Well, let's listen to it in context so you can hear how it comes together. This is the final scene of Aida, O Terra Adio. Thank you. 
This concludes our tour through Verdi's Aida from the perspective of the clarinet. Anton, do you have any final thoughts for us about the role of the clarinet in this opera or what you enjoy most about it? Well, this is one of my favorite operas to play. I, I just I love the way he writes for, for the instruments. Um, it's, it's, very, it's very nice that sort of each woodwind instrument gets a, a spot, a, a chance in the spotlight, and then recedes to different roles, accompanying um, background. And so he definitely does that for the clarinet as well. So I like the variety. Um, mm. I, I like sort of being tested to follow the, the singers and really match with them, like that it forces you to listen. Um, it's that kind of playing that can just be so rewarding. I, I really enjoy it. Thank you so much, Anton, for giving us such wonderful insights into this opera from the perspective of the clarinet and from a clarinet player, from course, a principal clarinet player in the Met Opera Orchestra. If we want to find out more about the orchestra, where can we go? So the Met Orchestra musicians, um, we have a Twitter feed, a Facebook feed, and you can also go to our website, metorchestramusicians.org, and see any upcoming events or specific news about any of the members. Yes, I know that the blog is very active there with lots of interesting insights. Different orchestra members write about their perspective on certain pieces and certain excerpts and Absolutely. experiences. So there's lots of great reading and there. Interviews and it's a lot a lot of good stuff. Yes. So thank you so much for being with us and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. That was Anton Rist and Naomi Baratera talking about the role of the clarinet in Verdi's Aida. To keep up with the Met Orchestra musicians, be sure to follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and check out their blog at metorchestramusicians.org. Sonia Frisell's iconic production of Aida is currently on stage at the Met through March 7th. A performance starring Anna Netrebko in the title role can be seen in cinemas worldwide, live in HD, on October 6, 2018. For more information, visit metopera.org. I'm your host, Stuart Holt, and thank you for listening.